Well, hey, everybody. Good to see you guys. We, we need a little bit longer video, but it's great to see class for you tonight. If you're, if you're a guest here today, I want to welcome you. It's great to be back. Happy Fourth of July. You then. Well, I hope you had a great time with your family, and we're celebrating Independence Day weekend long. I hope you appreciate what you have. An incredible blessing. Uh, we just got back last night from the the Northeast. Uh, Anthony uh, mistakenly said we were in Florida. We were actually up in the Boston area visiting my wife's family. Thank you for your prayers. They worked. You, I felt so much help from you being with my in-laws. Thank you. Your prayers were powerful and effective, and I made it. I survived. You know, we almost didn't make it because we had an, uh, a hurricane that ca- came up the coast. Uh, Arthur is his name. And uh, I called Mike on Friday. I said, Mike, you might want to familiarize yourself with the material for this Sunday because I might not make it. And so he got nervous, and he sent me a text yesterday, and he said, hey, uh, how's the flight coming along? You know? But uh, I'm here, and we made it. Grateful that the uh, hurricane missed us. So we're, uh, we're in the middle of a series. We're at the very tail end. We're at the caboose of our series called Ask It. And we've been looking at uh, a question that is, uh, it covers every area of our lives. An incredible, incredible question. Anybody know what the question is? Can any of you remember? What's the wise thing to do? And we've been talking about it. So if you want to go back and listen, this is probably one of the most important series that we've done as it pertains to you making wise decisions in your life. If you want to go back and listen to it, you can go to our website. It's here, lighthousecoc.com. You can, you can watch it. You can hear it. Uh, I actually was spying on you guys last week from the Northeast. I was actually able to, to, to listen in and watch. Uh, I could see the teens right here, the back of your heads. And I want to say hey to everybody online. There's probably some people watching from who knows where online, maybe the beach. You know, we're struggling with you. Maybe you're at the lake. We're not happy with you because we want to be where you are and you need to be here at church. But it's okay. We forgive you. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it's been a great series. And we've been looking at this scripture, and this is kind of the overhanging verse for what we've been looking at in this series called Ask It. And, and it basically, it's this, what Paul wrote. He said, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. See, God wants us to be wise. And if there's one thing that you can see around you, there's not a lot of wise people out there. You see people fumbling and stumbling around, making bad decisions. And so if you're a guest here today, I want to tell you, we're so glad you're here. And what God has planned for you and what he wants to do with you is make you wise. And that way, when you're at an intersection, when you're presented with an opportunity, a decision, or an invitation, you can make wise decisions. And so we've been looking at this question. And so to start things out today, we're going to do a little art class. Okay, I got some works of art now. I got to say this. Uh, my wife made sure, she said, you better big take very good care of this stuff we got here up on stage. So we're very careful. So, but I want to show you guys these two pieces of of art. And, and what if I were to tell you today, what if I were to tell you today, so everyone can see, uh, these two pieces of art 
we're done with by my children in the third grade. What would you say? This is actually, this is actually my son, Nick, in the third grade. He painted this picture in watercolors. Okay, then my daughter, this is an oil color. She did this in the fourth grade. Okay, what would, I, what would you say to me if I told you, Nick did this in the third grade, Lauren did this in the fourth grade? You would say, hey, we're, we're in church, and you're supposed to tell the truth, right? Because I'm not buying it. Whatever story you're telling, and preachers are known for telling stories, you, you wouldn't go for it, right? I mean, you look at this and you go, wow, th this is, and if it was them, you'd say, man, you, you need to take care of those kids because they're going to make some money for you, <laughs> right? But what would a parent do if their children in, you know, third grade, fourth grade were doing these kinds of, 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 of works of art? What, what would you do with them? You know, you'd probably get them enrolled in some kind of class, maybe get them a, a master uh, teacher, tutor, artist, somebody who knows, who can increase their skill level so they could be even better. All right, so I'm going to tell you the truth. The, the, these are not my kids. They did not do this. This, this, is, this is my kids' artwork, and they may be watching online, so sorry, kids. Just Okay, this, this, is, my, this is my daughter right here. She, she did this. This looks about right, doesn't it? Okay, she, she did this fine piece of art. And this is, this is my son. This is actually watercolors. Okay. Okay. But he did, he did this. Okay. Can you see that? Okay. It's a ship. All right. And this is a Merry Christmas plate. You got all the ingredients for a Merry Christmas. You got the candy cane, Christmas tree, and the snowman. Okay. And they got their name on it. All right. So this makes more sense, right? This is the work of an untrained, unskilled, young artist. And we do this with our kids, right? When they get in school, what do you do? You hand them a crayon. You hand them a paintbrush. Uh, hopefully no permanent markers in the house because you know what that's like, right? But we want our kids to do artistic things, to be expressive. And this is a way that they express themselves. But you can tell the difference between a trained, guided art work or someone who is not trained. And th this is kind of a description of untrained artwork right, right here. Let's see if this stays, won't stay. But what, the reason why I'm, I'm telling you this is because when we look at this, you, you understand these two people, this is actually this woman, her name is Ruth. Uh, Basalar Burr, she is a, 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 an artist down in, uh, in, in Laguna, and she does this in watercolors. She's very well known. Uh, she's got her own gallery, you know, and she does really fine work. How did she get to the point where she can do this so well? She had a lot of practice, and she probably took a few classes from somebody who's better than her in how to do it. It took her some time to become an artist. And you see that this person here, guided hand, trained hand, untrained hand. Huge difference, right? And, and this guy here, his name is Ulysses, uh, Roberto Ulysses. He is a, uh, basically a colonial artist in, in Mexico. And these are pre-colonial, colonial, colonial 
uh, pieces of art. It's original. Both of them are original art. And you go, okay, this, this guy's got it down. You see the shadows. You see the, the variance of greens. You see that this guy knows what he's doing. How did he get to the point where he did this and can do this? You know, and if you're standing back there, trained hand, guided hand. And a lot of these artists in Mexico, their parents were artists, and they passed it on to their children, and they trained their children how to see things, the shadows. And then a lot of times what artists know to do is they, they don't start out with a blank piece of canvas. They do a sketch, and they outline where they're going to put things. So why are we talking about this? This, this is your life. Every single one of us are in the process of creating a work, and it's called our life. This is your life. It's a blank canvas that you've been working on since you were about 15 or 16 years old. And you've been painting on this, this canvas. Some of you, you teens, you're, you're just now starting on this canvas. You're, you're painting. You're putting your life story on this canvas. And as time goes on, you're going to get older. This canvas is going to fill itself out with your life and how you lived it and what you did and the way you lived it. And then your life is going to end. And this will be your life's work. At your funeral, they're going to bring this, this canvas out on the stage and they're going to say, this is your life. And as most funerals they do, guess what they do? They don't tell you the whole story. So they're going to take your canvas, your life, and they're going to drape about 25% of it. They're going to cover that up. Why? Because it wasn't such a good outcome. In some cases, they may cover up 50% of your life because it didn't turn out very good. And so one generation, they'll remember your life work. They'll They'll have it around. Maybe your kids will have it around. They'll go, oh, yeah, I remember. I remember my parents. I remember the way they lived. I remember what they did. And then another generation, your grandkids, maybe they'll remember you. After two generations, guess what? Gone. You will no longer be remembered. Wow, what a depressing thought. What a great way to start off a service. <laughs> Love this church. If you are one of the rare few that live your life in such a way, you will be remembered for many generations. And they will look back and they will remember that your life, this, this piece of work that you put together over your lifetime, instead of it looking like this, untrained, unskilled, it can look like this, a beautiful masterpiece, a work of art that people can look at and marvel at and say, wow, somebody just like these professional artists helped them get to the point. And in your life, just as you didn't believe it with my kids, you said, you know, there's no way that your daughter in fourth grade could put this together. Yeah, this looks like it. That, that, that makes sense. But in the same way, how can you expect for your life to turn out like a masterpiece if there's no one guiding your hand just like the professionals have lessons and they have someone guiding them, tutoring them, teaching them, bringing them along as artists. And then they become an artist at a prestigious level 
But the reason they become so good is because, number one, they were gifted, they were unique, but number two, they were trained. And so today we're looking at this art, but we're looking at your life's work, and it's called, it's called your life. We're looking at this, and we're asking the question today, how is this going to turn out? What will it look like? And if you're smart, you're not going to go unguided, untrained. I did it my way. I did it the way I wanted. I just threw some, some color on there. Or if you're smart, you're going to say, you know what? I want to get trained, and I want to have someone guiding my hand on how to do this. I want to have an, a, a sketch, a background sketch on how to do this. And let me tell you, pieces of art are important, but your life is so much more important and how you live it. But see, too many of us don't realize we just kind of go at it like this. We just, you know, we throw things and we're like kids, you know, and kids, kids do that. I'm just going to throw it together. Now, you've got to understand your life is so significant that you want to take the time to do it well. So, this question that we've been asking, okay, week after week, here it is. In, in light of my past experiences, current circumstances, and future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? As you put your life together, your life's work, you want to ask this question at every opportunity, at every decision, and in every invitation. It's huge, and we've looked at it week after week, and Anthony talked about it. You know, even the wisest man alive, he talked about this last week, what happened to him? He made a mess. Solomon, he made a mess of his life. Why? Because he didn't listen. He didn't surround himself with someone to guide his hand, to help him see where he was getting off the canvas and making huge mistakes. And so that's why we've been asking this question over and over again. And so today we're going to look at, from this question, we're going to look at one more component. And it's a great way to close it out because, yes, we want to ask that question, what's the wise thing to do? But that's not the complete picture. There's one more component that you and I need because, you know, the truth of the matter is you can answer that question, you can have that question lying around, what is the wise thing to do? And I'm sure in the last few weeks you've been asking that question, did you do what the question, what it answered you? Did you go ahead and follow through and act on that answer that you came up with? My, my guess is some of you didn't. You got to the answer and you said, this is the wise thing to do, but I'm still going to do this. Mm, right? We're going to fill in that blank because, see, you can know what the wise thing to do is, but the difference between acting on the wise thing to do or just asking the question is this one component that we're going to look at today. And so... We're going to go to, you know, the, the, the man himself. And so we're going to look at this. To make wise decisions in any arena, an arena means your state in life. Your state in life. To make wise decisions in any arena requires understanding of and submission to the principles and rules that govern that arena or that point in your life. Let's take sports, for example. If you want to be a great coach... And they're doing this a lot right now, okay? What, what, are, what are the guys that they're hiring now to be coaches, for example, in the NBA? Derek Fisher. They hired him to be the coach for the New York Knicks. 
What is he called? He's called a player coach. Why would you hire a player coach? Why would you hire a guy who played in the NBA to be a coach in the NBA? Because Derek Fisher, he can make good decisions because he understands, he understands the game. He understands what it's like to be on the court at that moment. So he has a great understanding, and he also, he played under the rules. See, and he played by the rules most of the time. Okay, there was a few times. He, he, he got crazy, like they all do. But this is, the, this, is the, this is the thing you must understand. And so any great coach, whether it's soccer, and this happened this past week when the U.S. lost, you know, it was heartbreaking. Man, they lost their against Belgium of all the teams, you know. And you go, man, they should have won that game. And so people started criticizing the coach. The coach didn't make a wise decision because they started questioning whether he had a complete understanding and whether he submitted himself to how the game works. Offense, they played great offense. Guess where they were lacking? Defense. And it killed them. You see? And so they always go to the coach. And so if you're going to be a coach, whatever area, whatever arena, you must have a good understanding of how the game, how the area of life is played or lived out. And we do this all the time. Okay? We do this all the time. So principles and rules, how things are structured, inform the decision-making process. For example, let's say you're a pilot. Within the sphere of the arena of being a pilot, of flying a plane or flying a jet, we did it last night, there's, there's certain principles and rules you've got to follow. Okay? There's gravity involved. There's, there's, there's lag. There's drag. There's, there's all kinds of things that are happening. There's weather that can interfere. So if for, for a pilot to make good decisions, he's got to understand the principles and rules. If you're a doctor... You better understand the rules and the principles that have to do with the human body before you make decisions that are going to affect the rest of a person's life, right? So in order to make wise decisions, you've got to submit to and understand the principles. And those principles and rules inform the decision-making process. They create a good, a, a, they create the context for good decision-making or good judgment. You see, if you're going to be a good Lawyer, you better understand the rules and laws, and you better know the judge who's going to be sitting on the other side of the bench, right? You walk into his courtroom, you better understand how he calls the game or how he calls the judgment. You better play to how things work if you're working in your environment. And this, this, this affects every place where if you're a teacher, same thing. You better know how the school district works what they spend money on, what they don't spend money on, what they, what they appreciate, what they don't. If you're, you know, if you're in whatever, sales, it's every area of our lives. If you understand the principles and the rules, then that can create a context for good decision-making. We get this in normal life, right? And Christians, for us who are called, who follow Jesus, we're not called to do just good enough. We're called to a higher. We're actually commanded to live at a level that's much higher than everybody else, to be wise, to live a life that's a step above, not just good enough, not good versus bad, but to go even higher, 
And so that's what God is calling us to. He wants our lives to turn out as masterpieces. And this point here is wise life decisions require an understanding of and submission to the principles that govern life. Now, we do this all the time with, you know, flying a plane or or the, the study of law or teaching or whatever your field of work is. We apply it and we understand this. But what about life? Do you understand the laws and, and the rules that apply to how life is governed? Do you understand that? See, this is where it gets a little crazy. Because what we do is we take that mindset in our career, in our life, but we don't take the same principles and apply it to our life. And so what we do is we don't go back and ask the same questions. You know, if I'm going to be successful in my career, I better play by the rules and submit to those rules. But if you turn around and you look at your life, we don't apply that. And you're going to do it today as you walk out of here. A lot of you are going to drive away from here today. In order to drive out of here, you must submit to and have an understanding of what? The laws that apply to driving. But why don't we take this same mindset and apply it to life? And this is a huge deal. And King Solomon, King Solomon, do you guys realize who King Solomon was? He was a king. He was an architect. He was a designer. Uh, he was a writer. I mean, this guy, he was, he was an amazing person, and he was the wisest man to ever live. This is what he said about this principle of making wise decisions. He said this in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. Can you guys see it? Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. He said this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So how do I start being wise? You better fear God. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about fearing God? It's this. Fear means this, as he's, he's, he's talking about it. It's a recognition and a reverence that leads to what? Submission. It's basically this. You wake up in the morning and you realize, I am not God. He is God. And I'm going to live my life the way God wants me to. I am not God. He understands better how my life is going to work than I do. So I am going to do it his way versus my way. You see, God knows more about marriage than I do. So I'm going to rely on him to build my marriage. He knows more about my wife because I can't figure her out at all. So I'm going to rely on God and husbands and wives do the same thing. I have no clue of what my husband's going to do next. He is a great mystery. So I'm going to rely on God. I'm going to submit to God so he can help me with my husband or help me with my wife. See, I have no idea how to manage my money correctly, but God does. So I'm going to lean on him. I'm going to submit to him so he can help me make good decisions. Child rearing, you know. God understands all these principles on how to raise children. So if we know this and you submit to that, you fear God, you go, you know what? I understand who he is and I understand who I am, so I am going to entrust my life to him so that I can make better decisions, right? That's what it means to fear God. 
And here's the whole verse, verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So this word here, it can also mean not just understanding, but knowing Him. Having an understanding of who God is. See, because there's going to be times where it's going to be hard for you to submit to God's will. Do you know why it's going to be hard for you to submit to God's will? Because you're going to be doing things in your life. You're going to be going about your life, painting your life, and you go, you know what, God, this part up here, you know, I don't know why you want me to paint this green up here. It should be blue, but you're telling me to paint it green. I have a choice to make. Trust you or trust me. And when you trust God, when you know who he is and how he loves us, cares about us, you trust him even though you don't understand it at that given moment. That's true submission to God is I'm going to trust you even when I don't understand how it works. And see, this is another thing that happens is, you know, we, we look at science and there seems to be out there that there's this conflict between faith and science. Let me just tell you this. That's a false premise. There's no conflict between science and scientists, you know, the nerds out there, they want people to say, well, God doesn't exist because science gives us all the answers. You know what science does? Science gives us the reasons why things work and the way God created it to work. See, I'm not against science. I think science is awesome. And whenever there's a great new discovery, we as Christians, or if you want to look at the right way Christians should look at things, is we just go, you know, when there's a great new discovery, we go, hey, that's it. That's how God designed it. We never knew that before, but I'm so glad that he designed it that way. And awesome, now we understand how it works. See, and science and, and, and faith should not be, and there's preachers out there that are against science. We shouldn't be against science. We should want to understand things. But let me tell you where things can get crazy with science. Just because I understand how this plasma TV works doesn't mean I should deny who created it. Right? This is what scientists do sometimes. See, I understand how it works. Because I understand how it works, I can deny who created it. No, you can't deny who created it. I mean... It says it right here, Dynex created this. I mean, I got to respect that. And so science and, and faith are not in conflict. And so whenever there's a great new discovery, we need to go, so that's it. That's how God designed it to work. That's awesome information to know, right? Okay. So we're moving on. Maybe, Ronnie, could you? There we go. Okay, so to make, wise life, to make wise decisions in life requires submission to the author of life. If you want to make wise decisions, you've got to take a knee to the author of life. And this is huge. See, this, is, this, this takes us beyond having the answer to the wise question. See, because if you don't submit, if you don't submit to the author of life, you have an option. I don't know if I'm going to do the wise thing or not. But if you understand he's the author of life, it makes it much easier to go, you know what? I trust God's wisdom, so of course I'm going to do what he knows I should do. 
Because he is the master artist. And if I want my life to turn out like a piece of, 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 of a masterpiece of work, guess who I'm going to go to? I'm going to go to the author of life. See, and this is blow away for me. Why people in our society today, we rely upon the laws of gravity, the laws of nature, which are so predictable. You got up this morning, everything as it was, it was, right? And, you know, even in sports, we use the laws of gravity. Some of these, these, these angle goals that these guys, they put a curve on the ball, and it goes right in the goal. But they're using spin and gravity to create that effect. Who created all those laws that govern our world? God did. But yet we won't rely on him to make good decisions in our lives. We will live independent of him and we'll do it our way thinking that it's going to turn out okay. See, that's a big mistake. It's a huge mistake if we're going to rely on the, the, the laws that, that surround us. So wise decisions in life require submission to the author of life, meaning, guess what? I'm going to turn over my life to you and do it your way. Interesting thing is, where did Solomon get his wisdom from in that area of the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord? Guess who came up with it first? His dad. Who knows who his dad was? David. Look at what David says about wisdom. He says the same, almost the same exact thing. He says, Psalm 111, verse 10, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. If you follow God's precepts, guess what? It makes you wise. It makes you wise. What if you don't follow God's precepts, which the majority of people don't. They don't have good understanding. Have you ever looked at somebody and just go, man, they, they just don't get it. You know what I mean? They keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And you go, man, you just don't get it, do you? And there's a reason. There's a disconnect between them and their creator. If they could just make that connection Everything could be different. And that's what David is saying. All who follow his precepts, in other words, if I resign myself, if I submit myself to God and his precepts, I'm going to be wise. And I'm going to make wise decisions about my life. And David got this as a king. To understand why, submit and apply. This is a great phrase because there's going to come many times where you're not going to you're not going to want to do it because it doesn't make sense to you. And it says it right here. God is saying, I want you to do this. You know, you're young and you want to be in a relationship, not in two years, three, five years. You want to be in a relationship now. It doesn't feel right now. And God is saying, listen, hey, you need to wait. You need to wait for the right time in your life to be in this relationship. And you go, that makes absolutely no sense to me. If you take this principle to understand why, as things played out. And all of us who are older, we know this, right? Because we didn't submit, and we went ahead and did it, and what happened? After it was over in the carnage, we go back and we go, doink, you know, I should, I should have done it differently. God has every reason to take this position. But if you're really wise, you will trust God 
with your decisions, even though it doesn't look like it's going to work out right now. It may not make sense to you right now, but if you trust the author of life and you trust in his wisdom and his goodness, it'll work out. So, as we look at our series, and we're going to bring it in for a landing, we've been going through this series. The beginning of wisdom is not a question. What's the question again? What's the wise thing to do? See, that's not the beginning. Where we need to start, and this is where it closes the gap, because you can know what the wise thing is and not do it, but if you start with a decision, meaning I'm going to trust God first, what happens? then that leads you into the next step. I'm going to make wise decisions because I trust God. See, it's a heart decision. It's trusting the master artist. And if you want to get better as an artist, you better entrust your hand to somebody who knows better how to paint, how to draw, how to do things. But why won't we do this in our lives? And this is a huge question. So it's not, the beginning of wisdom is not a question. The question comes next. It's a decision. And what's the decision? I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to surrender my life to you. I'm going to surrender my finances. I'm going to surrender my career. I'm going to surrender my marriage. I'm going to surrender my children. I'm going to surrender every aspect of my life to your wisdom, God, because I trust that it's going to be better done your way versus my way. That is the decision. And so, looking at that, then we can ask this question. So we're going to say it one more time and then we're done. You'll never have to repeat it in church again. But I want us to repeat it one more time. When you have this heart and this decision, I want to trust you, God, then this question sounds so much more powerful. Okay, I entrust my life to you, God. So in light of what? Let's say it together. In past experience, current, future, what is the wise thing for me to do? When you take a knee to God and you trust him as the author of life, this question gets a lot easier. Because there's going to come times in your life where you're not going to want to do it because you go, I don't know how this is going to turn out. It doesn't seem right to me. But when you trust God, after time it plays out and you go, wow, I, I guess he knows. He understands. So take your paintbrushes out. Now we're going to use them, okay? If you didn't get one, sorry, you can get one on the way out. This is for you to take home and you, for you to remember the lesson today, okay? Just a little something, you know. But I, I want you to understand, you are the artist of your life. This, this is you painting this masterpiece of your life. This is your life. It, it, you get one shot. You don't get a canvas in your 20s. And then another canvas, you take that 20s canvas and you throw it up in the attic and you forget it. No, that never happened. No, it's all one canvas. You get one shot, one canvas, and it all stays there. So wouldn't you want to do it right? So you are the artist. And so you, at about the age between 13 and 16 years old, this is how it happens. We start out with the brush in our hand. And when we're 13 to 16-year-old, we say this, 
I can't wait for my parents to get their hands off of my brush and I'm going to paint my life the way I want because they've been trying to control me and I got my brush and I'm going to paint it. I'm picking on them. Okay, and a lot of you guys know this, right? But what happens when you're a grown adult and you're still holding on to your paintbrush like this? I'm going to build my relationships the way I see fit and the way I want to. I'm going to do it my way. And I can't wait to paint my own picture. And we never grow up. And you got to think about this. You got one opportunity to paint something incredibly, incredibly beautiful with your life. And for some of us, you know, we've been in church a long time, so this is what we do. We've been around church, we do this. Okay, God, so I'm going to give you uh, a good amount of my time. I'm going to come to church a lot. Uh, I'm going to give you my children because I can't control them anyway, they're crazy. I'm going to give you my husband because he, he's a piece of work and I don't know. So I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you my life, God. What's missing? You're still hanging on, aren't you? You, you got a little secret going on. You got a little secret habit. Something's going on in your life. And you think, I'm not going to give this up. I'm still going to hold on to this. I'm going to give you my life, God. And he's looking at your hand and saying, no. The only way this is going to really work is when you open it up. And you allow God to guide your hand as you paint your life. You see? And a lot of us look at life in church or in Christianity and we think, well, God's trying to control me. No, he's not trying to control you. He's trying to guide you. See, there's a difference. And, and, and teens, let me just help you with this, guys, because this is so important. I'm a parent. I was a teen one time. What we're trying to do is not control you and tell you exactly how it may feel like that. We're actually trying to guide you so you can make good decisions. And there's going to come a point in time where your parents are going to let go. Hopefully. <laughs> but hopefully you'll be wise enough to go, you know what? I was trained by my parents, and they guided me. Here's where the blue goes. Here's where the green goes. Here's how it works. Here's how I am to guide my life. And you're going to allow God at the same time to be a part of your decision-making, and you're going to allow him to guide your hand so that you will have your uniqueness you still will be unique because there's no one on this planet like you. You are unique. You are special. You are your own artist. But with the guiding hand of God, what happens? A beautiful thing, a masterpiece happens. And your life speaks volumes. I got to share this with you guys because it's, it's very personal. This past week, we were with, you know, my in-laws, my, my, my uh, wife's family. 
And my son and I were talking, and, you know, he just, he, was, he opened up with me, and, you know, I try, try to say this respectfully, but there's a lot of drama in my wife's family. There's drama in my family, too. But there's a little more. And one of the reasons why there's a lot more drama in my wife's family is because her mother and her father got divorced when she was 14 years old. And we spent six days with my wife's family. It had to be ex- exactly 50-50. 50% for dad, 50% for mom. And my son's going, this is so much drama. And so I, you know, it's a teachable moment. And I said, listen, you got to understand, son, what you build your life on is going to affect a lot of people. It's been 40 years since they've been divorced, and the effects are still being felt by the children and by guess who now? The grandchildren. And I, I, I tried to share this with my son. I said, son, listen, you've got to get your life built on right foundations because you are going to affect a lot of people. Who you marry and the kind of marriage you have and the way you raise your children. It's so important. It's a life work. And what I want to say to you today, all of you, is this. God wants to paint a masterpiece of your life. But some of you are not letting him work. You're holding on to your brush. You're holding on to your life. You're doing things your way, Frank Sinatra's way. And you've got your finger on one thing, two things, something. You're not letting go. And so what's going to be the end result of your life? Somebody with no guidance. Somebody with no help. And you don't want your life to turn out like that. You don't want your life to be like this. Abstract art. You know, abstract art is really cool to look at. You know, have you ever sat there in front of abstract art and you look at it and you go, wow, that's interesting. And then you stand over here and you go, wow, I didn't see that. Abstract art is one thing. An abstract marriage You don't want that. Abstract family, you don't want that. See, because this this is a mess over here. Art is one thing. Life is a whole nother thing. You don't want your finances to be abstract art. You don't want your relationships your future relationships to be abstract art. And there's a lot of abstract out there, and people glorify it. Hey, don't get duped out. Don't get faked out. It's a mess, and you don't want any part of it. And that's what I try to tell my son. You don't want any part of abstract life. Build your life on a solid foundation. God is working on a masterpiece in your life. The question is, will you let him? Will you let him? Will you let go and let him work in your life? If you're a guest here today, I want to encourage you. Some of you have been coming for some time. It's time you turn yourself in. That you repent. That you decide, I will submit and surrender my life to God.
We got this thing going on for our members, and I just got to say this really quick. Spiritual fitness test. Some of you are like, oh, I don't know. You know, it's kind of like breaking things up into categories. I'm not, I don't know if I'm not. Let me tell you about the spiritual fitness test. It's basically an evaluation of how your life is being built on a day-to-day basis. And one of the areas, the coolest thing, you know, we're celebrating Independence Day, right? This weekend and the whole weekend. The forefathers who designed, who wrote the Declaration of Independence. Do you know about them? Do you know the real history, not the one they're teaching in schools, the real history behind these guys? Their first meeting of Congress, the first one that they had before they wrote and penned the Declaration of Independence, do you know what they did for three hours on that first meeting? They prayed and they read Psalm 131. It's in the history, the real history. And look what it says here. Look what it says here in Psalm 131. It says, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Do you know what our forefathers said? They said, God, you are, this nation, we entrust it to you. We entrust our future to you. When George Washington won the war against the British, they wanted to make him king. And you know what George Washington said? He said, no, I'm not interested in being a king. I will be a two-term president, and that's it, because the law says, the principles by which we govern this nation say two terms, and that's it. And everybody around the world was blown away at George Washington that he stepped away from public life, political life, after two terms. And why did he do that? The spiritual fitness test. You know, we talk about quiet times, the importance of having quiet times. You think, you know, quiet time is when you take time out of your your day. Do you think we're the ones that invented quiet times? Let me read you a little excerpt from John Adams. He wrote a letter, and John Adams was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He wrote a series of letters to his son called The Bible and Its Teaching. He says this, which were published in the New York Tribune, in which he stated... I myself, for many years, have made it a practice to read through the entire Bible once a year. I've always endeavored to read it with the same spirit and temper of mind, which I now recommend to you. That is, with the intention and desire that it contribute to my advancement in wisdom and virtue. My custom is this, to read four or five chapters every morning, Immediately after rising from my bed, it employs me about an hour of my time, and it seems to be the most suitable manner for the beginning of a day. Do you know that of the 55 signers of the Declaration of Independence, 52 of them were devout Christian men? Here's one quote from a gentleman, Benjamin Rush, a signer of the Declaration of Independence. He was from Philadelphia, who closely monitored proceedings, concurred openly testifying this. He said, I do not believe that the Constitution was the offspring of inspiration, but I am as perfectly satisfied that the union of the states is in its form and adoption and is as much the work of divine providence as many of the miracles recorded in the Old Testament and New Testament were effects of divine power. Guess what these guys believed? 
about the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Who wrote it? They believe, they believe, and they prayed earnestly, God, as we write this document, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution of the United States, still to this day, one of the most incredible writings of law that man have ever seen about how to civilly rule a government. And they believe this, God, take our hand as we write this document and guide us, guide us. Why wouldn't we want to do that with our lives? If our forefathers in this nation believe that, believe this, you are my God, my times are in your hands. You are not leading a nation, you are leading a family. Amen. You are leading a life. You are creating a masterpiece. Why wouldn't you want to go to the same length and devote your every day to God. And let me just say this. i got to be very, very frank and honest before we wrap this series up. Some of you, some of you are asking the question why your marriage, your family is so chaotic. It's because of your practices are chaotic. As we're going through this spiritual fitness test, some things are coming to light. There are some marriages in our church that are like this. Oh, they're all smiles coming here to church and everybody's happy and, hey, God bless you and God be with you. But when they're in home and closed doors and it's come out, people are dropping four-letter words with their spouses. And you're a Christian? You're a follower of Jesus? Are you kidding me? And it all has to go back to your practice, how you're practicing. What do you expect to happen if you're haphazardly living your life and not allowing God to involve himself, what do you expect to happen? If you want to have a life that's well-founded, you must let go of your brush and allow God to work with you so that things can be awesome. That means when you're a married couple, you should pray together every day. God, please bless our marriage. You should pray with your children. I don't care if they're teenagers or what age, it doesn't matter. You pray with your children. And you want God, you surround yourself with people in church. Church is not an option. These men, these men that wrote the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, they went to church just about every day. The Minutemen, they were deacons of churches. Church life was so much a part of these far, our forefathers' life. It's no wonder some of the foundations that they produced are still a blessing to us today. Now it's your turn. What will you do? So let's wrap this up. We're going to close out with this verse and take communion. And I, and I want you to understand, this is not me speaking, this is God. For we are God's what? You know what a masterpiece is? It's an artist's life work. It's the best he could do with what he had. We are God's what? And you're like, I don't feel like a masterpiece because you're not living like a masterpiece. You're not allowing God 
to influence you, to deliver you, to guide you. But you are his masterpiece. Just like the Sistine Chapel and, you know, Michael D'Angelo and he painted, that's a masterpiece. You look at that ceiling and you go, wow, what an incredible, and he hated painting. But God took his unique skill and gift and ability that you have and he did an amazing thing. And God wants to do the same thing with you and your skills in your life. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things. He planned for us how long ago? Do you know that what God wants to do with your life? What he wants to do with your family, your marriage? You've only been around 14, 15 years maybe. Do you know that long before you came around, God had plans for your life? Some of you think you're too far down the road. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm down there. You know, I'm older. God can't do much with me. Oh, yes, he can. Let him try. Let go of your brush and let him work with you, alongside you. Jesus died to make it absolutely clear you are a masterpiece. Pray with me for the communion. Father God, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us. God, we're surrounded and even our own lives or stuff that's happened to us, God, that we're not proud of. I know even in my life, God, I, I wish I could go back and, and redo certain things that I've done in my life, but I can't. And I know and I'm thankful for your forgiveness. Thank you that you give us a new beginning. And I pray that you'll please help us to start fresh and go forward with the masterpiece. Thank you, God, that our life's work, our canvas is covered with Jesus' blood. That, God, we can find peace and a new beginning. Father, I pray for everybody who's here, God, that you'll bless each and every one of us. I pray for people that are online, God, that you'll bless them and help them, Father, to, to let go and let you work in their lives. Father, we honor Jesus. We lift him up at this time. Thank you for sending him and loving us so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.